Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change. And the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, and the mountains quake with their surging. God's blessings are like a river. They fill the city of God with joy. That city is the holy place where the Most High God lives. God dwells in that city. It cannot be destroyed. From the very break of day, God will protect it. Good morning. Great to see everybody. Welcome to Seacoast Church. Uh, we are glad you're here. My name's Josh. If I haven't met you, uh, love to do that at some point. Maybe you're new to Seacoast, been coming uh, since Easter. We're glad to have y'all. And I wanna welcome everybody who's watching us behind a screen. Uh, if you are new to Seacoast, we're located in 13 different locations around South Carolina and then one and up in Asheville, North Carolina. And so we're glad to have y'all. Welcome all of you that are there. Those of you joining us online as well, we are glad to have you. Easter was fantastic. We had such a great Easter weekend last weekend, had all kinds of uh, people in, in this building and in all of our buildings, and it was just incredible. We asked you guys to invite uh, your friends, and you guys invited tons of people. We had uh, over 20,000 people physically in buildings, over 30,000 people that connected via our internet uh, service. It's just incredible. But the favorite stat for me is that we had 531 people commit their lives to Christ last weekend. Isn't that awesome? 531 people made that decision to become Christ followers, and what excites me the most about that is that I know a bunch of them. Uh, some of them I've met with over the last couple of years. I know the family members that have been praying for them, and uh, so it's not just a number, but it's actual stories and people that I'm just excited about seeing take their journey and, and, and come to know Christ and grow in their faith. And if that's you, you're one of those people, we're glad that you're back this weekend. And ask you a question as we get started. How many of you, uh, speaking of Easter, have ever felt like just another face in the crowd? Has anybody ever had that feeling? Maybe you've, could be at church, could be at work, maybe you felt overlooked or, does anybody really notice me or notice what I do? I know that this past weekend, I went to a Faith Hill and Tim McGraw concert. Uh, don't judge me, okay, it was my wife wanted to go, and actually I went to a Need to Breathe concert, they were the opening act, and Faith Hill and Tim McGraw did some songs too at the end, but uh, I went for a Need to Breathe. <laughs> and, and it was great, it was fun, you know, we sat up at the very top, we were literally one of the last rows before the very top of the um, the, the North Charleston Coliseum, and so there were just thousands and thousands of people there, and as the concert was going on, I kinda looked around at this crowd. I had this overwhelming feeling of just being another face in the crowd. I had the thought, like, what, what, does it even matter that I'm here? I mean, like, if I didn't buy this ticket, somebody else would've bought the ticket, somebody else would've been there. It's, does it really even matter? Now, I know that, that Tim McGraw was really glad that I did come. If he found out, he'd be really, really stoked, but at the end of the day, just another face, in the crowd. Some of you have that feeling from time to time. You know, with a concert, <clears throat> it's fine. I paid good money to, to be a spectator, to be entertained, and, and that's what it's about. But, but in a church, God, God didn't design it to be that way. <coughs> the challenge, whether you're at this campus and there's thousands of people that come through the, the building on a weekend or whether you're at a campus where there's 100 or so, it can be real easy to just become another face in the crowd, to just come and go and do your thing and, and, and not really ever be known. Uh, we're in a series right now called A Year in the Word, and it's been exciting. We decided at the beginning of the year, again, if you're new, we decided to jump in and read through the Bible this year, to, to try to read the Bible every day. And, and I know a lot of you uh, jumped into the journey. Some of you quit during 
uh, Job and Leviticus and Deuteronomy, you know, some of that. I encourage you, whether you're brand new or, or you're, you've been doing it for a while, jump back in. At the back of your outline sheet that you can pull out when you came in, uh, there's this week's reading. We're in the book of Acts, which is exciting. That's really the, the beginnings of the, the New Testament church that we're still a part of today. A lot of incredible stuff. We're in Joshua, which is just an incredible uh, book from the Old Testament where God's people step in and, and take their place, take the land that God had given them. But this week, last week we were in Easter, we talked about Acts chapter two. If you remember Peter, the difference between him before the resurrection and after, he got up and he delivered the speech of his life. 3,000 people got saved. And what we're gonna do this week is we're gonna kind of switch the camera from Peter, the guy who did the talking, to the crowd. You know, there, there was a guy, we're gonna study the life of a guy in the New Testament, and we don't know a whole lot about him uh, prior to Acts chapter six, but we can assume that he was probably there that day on Acts chapter two, when, when 3,000 people got saved. We don't know if this guy got saved that day, or maybe he was one of the 120 followers of Christ that were already a part of the church that day, but he was just, to our knowledge, another face in the crowd. But we meet him in Acts chapter six, and what happens with this guy is we find out that as the church is growing, he steps up, he takes his place, and ultimately, if he hadn't done it, there would have been some major challenges in the life of the church. And so we're gonna look at it, his name is Philip, and uh, after the church launched on that day in Acts chapter two, it was growing like crazy. 3,000 people that day became followers of Christ, and then the Bible tells us again in Acts chapter two that every single day there were, there were people added to that number. And what happens when things grow is that Usually there are problems. Any of you been a part of a growing organization? And it's like, it, growth is great, but it produces challenges. If you're in a growing family, uh, growth is great, but it produces challenges. And the same thing goes with the church. As the church was growing, there were some very real challenges. There were some people that were overlooked, some people that felt like they weren't being noticed, that they weren't being cared for. And if the people who were spectators on that initial day didn't step up, and find their place to, to serve and to be a part of this growing church, then there could have been some real division that would have taken place. And so that's not what happens. Philip steps up, and, and what I wanna do is if you're here today, maybe you feel like you're just another face in the crowd here at Seacoast. Maybe you are fairly new, started coming recently, and you just feel like you come and go. I, I really wanna, wanna talk to you today. If you've ever wondered, would anybody notice if I didn't, show back up. And here's what I wanna say to you today. The church will not reach its full potential if you don't get involved without you. We need you. I may not know your name. Right now, we may have never met. You may, may be at a campus, but, but what I can say without question is that, that there is a place for you in this church. There's a place for you in the body of Christ. How do I know that? Well, the Bible tells us that in Ephesians 2 and verse 10. It says, he creates each one of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work that he does. In other words, following Christ, it's not a spectator sport. It's not like a Tim McGraw concert. He's, he's actually created us to join him in the work that he's doing, the good work that he's gotten ready for us to do, work that we'd better be doing. Each of us were created by God to be a part of this family, to have a significant place. So how do we get there? How do we go from maybe being a spectator to being a standout? to being somebody that makes a difference in the kingdom of God. We're, we're gonna look at Philip's life, three different snapshots. 
We have three different places that we see him in the, in the passages that we read this last week. And I, I think we'll pull out three things that, that will apply to our lives, both getting involved here in the church. And by the way, if you are in business, if you have a job, if, you're, if you have a family, these principles will apply to all of those things. Not only the church, but, but let's look, look at it. What do we do? The first thing we have to do is be willing to do whatever. Be willing to do whatever. Well, let's look at the story. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them, in other words, the Greek Jews, complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So you've got a church that's growing, and one of the issues is that there were some widows in the church that were being overlooked. Back in Acts chapter four, uh, they kind of established a fund where everybody would give uh, above and beyond what they normally would out of their margin so that every need in the church was taken care of. We actually have an Acts 4 fund here at the church where we asked people several years ago to, to give above and beyond. And, and so every month we have people that come in uh, that maybe are struggling, going through a difficult time, unemployment, whatever it might be, and we're able to help them because of this Acts 4 fund. That's what they're talking about. There's this, this fund, but some people felt like they were being overlooked, like they weren't being paid attention to. So, the 12 gathered all the disciples together, the 12 are the leaders of the church, and they said it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Now, my, my point here was to be willing to do whatever, and that may sound a little contrary to that. Here's the deal. These 12 disciples had face-to-face -face conversations with Jesus about what their role was to be in the church, and it was to preach and to lead in that way. And so, that they, they knew that part of the reason the church was growing was because they were doing what Jesus had asked them to do. So they weren't saying it wasn't important, they were just saying that they couldn't do it, it wouldn't be right for them to do it. And it says, brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. So they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip. So this is where we meet this guy, Philip, who we're gonna talk about. He's one of seven people. I can't pronounce the other names, so we'll move on. And uh, so they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid hands on them. So the word of God spread. I love that. Because guys like Philip were willing to do what was needed, the word of God spread, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Because Philip stepped up, the word continued to spread. The church continued to grow. Kind of summary of what, what was going on there is church is growing. Inevitably, there are problems when the church is growing. In this case, there were some of the disciples that were at their Greek campus that were irritated at the people at their Hebraic campus, okay? Basically, you had, they were going, hey, the resources are being given to the Hebrew campus and we need people over at our campus. We've never had those issues here at Seacoast. Um, not very often. But, but it was a legitimate challenge, a legitimate problem. So somebody needs to step up and be in charge of the food ministry. The disciples devise this plan and they appoint seven different people to oversee the food ministry and that's where we meet this guy named Philip. So, so here's my, my question. What was Philip's background? I mean, did Philip have experience in the food and bev industry that he'd be suitable to, to step into this role? What was Philip... Uh, I don't know what his strength finders results were. Did they kind of lend himself to be more in, in this area of service? Did his spiritual gifts test, you know, did, was, was hospitality and, and food? We don't know any of that. Here's what we know about Philip. 
They asked him to be part, and Philip said, okay, what's the need? Is it, is it to be part of the, the food team? I'll step up. And so he puts on the apron, if I can figure this thing out. And he says, you know what? I'm part of the team. I'm part of the church here, and, and if the need of the hour is the food team, put the apron on, let's get involved. I, I, I'll be happy to serve. And he steps up into this role, and he begins to serve in this area of ministry. Now, here's what Philip didn't say. And say, guys, uh, I don't know if you knew this or not, but um, I actually, I think I've got a gift to preach, and we'll find out later that, that Philip actually did end up preaching some. Uh, so I know you talked about the ministry of the word. That's probably where I'm better suited. So I'll, I'll serve with you 12 and preach and let's find somebody else to do the food team. He, he didn't say, guys, I don't know if you know kind of my wiring and, and what's going on, but there's a lot of potential in me and I, I feel like you're underutilizing uh, the potential that I have and so thanks for the offer, but I'm gonna do something. No, he put the apron on and he said, what, what, what needs to be done? I, I would gladly serve in the food team and any steps into this role. You know the really exciting stuff in Philip's ministry? Times where he's leading and, and preaching and he's on the platform and he's making it happen. All that stuff came, but I'm not sure that it would have if he wasn't willing to serve, to do whatever, whatever the need is. You know, when I first came on staff at Seacoast, uh, Pastor Billy Hornsby, who's gonna be with the Lord now, he was our executive pastor at the time, and he pulled me aside and asked me to serve in the area of student ministry. I was 22 years old and it's like, man, that sounds great. I'd love to serve with students. I'll preach and teach and lead. And I'll never forget my very first day on staff at Seacoast, a woman named Jan Radikoff, who's still on our team. She, at the time, she was overseeing all of our worship experiences, but she grabbed me on the first day that I was here. And she said, Josh, I know you're coming on staff. That's exciting. I don't know exactly what you're gonna be doing, but we've got a need in our sound booth. I need somebody who would be a service coordinator for our sound booth. And we still have service coordinators. Denise is doing it this weekend that kind of help pull all the details of the service together, the, the audio and the, the video and the lighting and all of that stuff. And, and I was like, oh, oh yeah, well, that, that sounds great. You know, I'd love to, love to serve in that area. So I remember going home that night and um, told Lisa, hey, one of the things I'm gonna be doing is overseeing the sound booth. It's gonna be cool. And Lisa was like, what? No, you're not. I said, yeah, sound, that's great. She goes, why are you doing that? You don't even know how to turn the DVD player on in our home. Like literally, Josh, if I wanna watch a movie, I have to do it because you can't do that. That's not, not a big deal, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make it happen, it's fine. And you know the first three years of my time on staff at Seacoast, I didn't preach any messages. I was known as the sound booth guy. I met some great people, we connected some people into ministry there, I learned how kind of the, the operations of a weekend service worked and, and it was fantastic. We launched a campus and was able to kind of lead the booth in that, that campus and, and it was great. It was the need of the hour. And we have to be willing to, to do whatever in the body of Christ. I think about guys like Brian Lewis. Some of you guys may know Brian Lewis. Brian is here on the left. <coughs> Brian came onto our team two years ago, and the role that we asked him to serve is as our men's pastor. And uh, Brian's background was actually not in ministry. He was in HR, and, but he, he agreed to come in, and he, he took on the role of men's pastor, which is a great role. You're kind of leading the men of the church, and and helping to connect them into small groups and men's hikes, which we've got one of those coming up in the next couple of weeks, and just a great role. Well, you know, not long after he came onto that role, he, he realized that there was a need for a group of men to cook turkeys for our, our Thanksgiving outreach that we do at the Dream Center. And so Brian uh, became an expert at cooking turkeys, along with leading men. He led turkeys and he cooked turkeys. Um, and, and 
It's fun watching him with a bunch of the guys that have been a part of this for years kind of jump in and create systems to make this happen as efficiently as and effectively as we can. Then just a few months ago, uh, a need kind of surfaced here at the Mount Pleasant campus uh, with some of the, the senior citizens in our church, some of the people in their 70s, 80s that, that, that needed, needed a little bit more attention and needed some structure around a ministry. So I remember walking to his office uh, and saying, Brian, uh, would you be willing to, to pull together some, a group of senior citizens and help us figure out how we can better care for them and the needs that they have? Because as the church grows, there are gonna continue to be more and more of them. And said, yeah, absolutely, I'd love to do that. So now he's kind of spearheading this ministry to help us better care for seniors. He also oversees the safety and security team at, at the Mount Pleasant campus. So there's about 70 or so volunteers that serve in the safety and security team. And Brian ultimately gives leadership. He's, he's been the kind of guy that says, you know what, what's the need? I'll put the apron on, I'd love to serve in that area. I think about guys like Sam Jackson who serves at the nursery door here at the Mount Pleasant campus. His job is to make sure the wrong people don't come in and the right people don't come out. And uh, he, he owns his own business during the week, but every weekend he's serving at the door there, just kind of faithfully putting the apron on to go, what's the need, I'm happy to serve. Guys like Gene Floyd up at the Manning campus, runs his own heating and air business all week long and he shows up at 6 a.m every single Sunday to help out with setup and teardown, willing to do whatever. At Seacoast Greenville, it's, it's Rick Burke who trains and, and leads our tech area at, at Greenville. You've got Dr. Joe and Debbie DeRosa who you know, serves as, as a doctor during the week, but on the weekend he serves the preschoolers uh, up, up in the, the Greenville campus. And I love, love hearing stories about people like that. In Somerville, it's, it's Don Willard who is a technical account manager at Blackbaud during the week. And on the weekend, he serves first through third graders in Kids Coast up in the Somerville campus because that's what the need of the church is at this point in time. In Asheville, Michael Giesentanner is a home builder during the week, serves on the tech booth every single weekend. And he's been with us since the theater days and has served in a lot of different capacities. And I could go on and on and on. And I could talk about guys like Kevin Hare who come in and build a stage set for us during the week, or guys like Brad who lead a bunch of men in the hike ministry, people who serve in various capacities, busy lives, lot going on, but who are willing to go, hey, what's, what's the need? I'll put the apron on. I'll be on the food team if that's what we need. You know, the early church was built on people like that, and so is the church that we're a part of today. Are you willing to do whatever? You know, the only thing we really know about Philip's background is that one of the requirements was that he was full of the Holy Spirit, full of the Holy Spirit. And, and we know that he's full of the Holy Spirit. I don't know if he spoke in tongues. I don't know what his expressions of the Spirit were, but I know he was full of the Spirit because you know what one of the most obvious ways to tell if somebody's full of the Holy Spirit is if they're less full of themselves. And that's what Philip did. I'll do it, whatever. I'm happy to serve in that area. So what would that look like for you to be willing to do whatever? Maybe that's an area of service here in the church. You know, we've talked recently about the fact that we as a church have decided we're gonna continue to, to reach people in the Charleston area and beyond. And in order to do that, we're gonna have to expand our facilities. Maybe for you, being willing to do whatever would be to pray about uh, being a part of that. We're gonna do an offering next weekend where we're just believing that God's gonna give us what we need to get this project going. It could be an area of service in the church. It could be anything, but do you have that attitude? That selfless servant attitude. I said it earlier, but man, you apply that principle to your place of work and see if it doesn't change the culture of your environment. Apply that principle to your family. I know on Thursday, uh, I was studying from the house on Thursday morning and Lisa was leaving with the kids and she was walking out the door and 
She said, hey, would you mind just making the bed uh, when you get a chance? And I was like, Lisa, I don't make the bed. Every time I make the bed, you come behind me and remake the bed. I just, I'm not gonna make the bed, no. And she kind of huffed and puffed and walked out. and was like, and I sat down and started writing this point. And I'm like, oh gosh, <laughs> what's wrong with you? So I went up and made the bed. You better believe it. I made it as best as I possibly could. But we all kind of get, struggle with self-centeredness from time to time. And it's a great example of the Lord going, hey, I want, I want people who are willing to do whatever. I don't know what that looks like for you. If you are willing to do whatever, I'd encourage you at whatever campus you're at, take out the connect card that you got when you came in, came in and fill it out. There's a, a box that you can check that says, I'd like more information on serving. I'm just willing to, to serve. I'd love to be a part of that. And we'd love to connect you. I know at the campus that I'm in right now, we're doing an event called Serve Sunday right after the service. If you took about 10 minutes of your time to go up to the loft afterwards and, and find out about areas that, that we need people who are willing to just put on an apron and serve. So the first principle is be willing to do whatever. I'm gonna take that off. I almost forgot about it. Some of y'all are looking at me kind of funny, so I'm glad y'all remind me. Second thought, looking at Philip's life, is turn my obstacles into opportunities. Turn my obstacles into opportunities. So let's, let's look at the story. We, we were in Acts chapter six when he was designated. He was in Jerusalem, and he became part of the food team. Now we're in Acts chapter eight. And it says a great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, and all the believers except for the apostles, were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Wait a minute, what happened? I mean, last time we saw them, the church was growing. Things seemed to be going really, really well. Now, all of a sudden, there's a great wave of persecution. Well, if you read Acts chapter seven, you know that one of the guys that was tapped on the shoulder to serve on the food team with Philip was a guy named Stephen. And in Acts chapter seven, he was persecuted for his faith, but he refused to back down. And he continued to proclaim the gospel and ultimately he was stoned to death for, for, for his faith in Christ. And that set off a great wave of persecution. So now all of a sudden, things have gotten really hard. And so those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip specifically, remember this is the guy we're following. He went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. Let me tell you something about Samaria. Samaria was not on travel and leisure's top 10 cities to explore. Uh, this wasn't a, a real well thought of area, especially to people who were, were Jewish at the time. And so uh, that's where he went. He was scattered. He went down there and he, he proclaimed the Messiah while he was there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs that he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. And it says that for with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many. What is that all about? It means people were being delivered and set free from bondage that in many cases they had had for a long, long time. Many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. And because Philip went and because he turned that obstacle into an opportunity, there was great joy in that city. It's a great, powerful example of somebody who's going through a really challenging time. We don't know what his relationship with Stephen, but we know he served together with him in ministry. We know that he knew him well. A good friend of his killed. And if that's not hard enough, he, he, he was killed for having the same faith that Philip had. Now they're all of a sudden, they've got a, a target on their back and people are looking for him. Now they're scattered and displaced from what was probably comfortable for them, Jerusalem. Now he's being sent out to this foreign town. And I don't know about you, but I'm not sure if I'm in Philip's shoes, I'm not sure if the first thing that comes out of my mouth is my faith in Christ. I'm just being honest with you. I'm not sure in that circumstance with the hostility and the wave of persecution 
that's going on, that that's what I'd be talking about. I, I might be tempted to get to Samaria and be talking about, man, do you know how bad things were in Jerusalem? Do you know what I've been through? A lot of times we become defined by the obstacles that we face in our lives. But Philip was defined by his faith in Christ. And, and because he was willing to turn the obstacle into an opportunity, the gospel spread, people were set free, and there was great joy in the city. You know, we haven't had a greater example of that than the story of the families of, of Mother Emmanuel, right? I mean, a, an incredibly tragic story that was awful, awful, awful in and of itself. But what really made that story significant is when you saw the family members stand up and look in the eyes of the person who took their loved one and say, hey, I forgive you. And you know what, if you'd be willing to give your life to Christ, ultimately you can have a better future. Wow, talk about turning an obstacle into an opportunity. That makes a statement. Yeah, I had a birthday party a couple weeks ago uh, that my kids were invited to and just a moment of transparency. Sometimes I have a bad attitude about birthday parties, okay? I, there are 14 cousins that are directly related to me and I have to go to all of their birthday parties. It's a lot of birthday parties. And then all of your kids, you know, we go to their birthday parties and so my kids love them. Please don't stop inviting them. But their dad has a bit of a problem. I'm, I'm working through it though. I'm, I'm, I'm sharing it right now and some of you are mad at me. It's okay. So I just preached a message and it's Sunday afternoon, and one of my neighbors, good friend of mine, um, uh, invited us to his son's birthday party. And, and so I finally did the right thing, and well, let's go. We even brought a present, so it was great. Go to the birthday party. And I met a guy there named David. I think he's in this service today. And uh, as I'm talking to David, just connecting, his brother-in-law, who's the guy who was having the birthday party, uh, was talking about a golf event that, that David was supposed to play with him. And he goes, yeah. But somebody had to go get chemotherapy treatment and missed the golf round. And I was like, wait a minute, what? What's, what's going on? Because David's about 40 years old and healthy. And he, he was like, oh yeah, yeah. In February, just a couple months ago, right around my 40th birthday, I, I went in to the doctor and was diagnosed with stage four lymphoma. Oh my gosh, wow. Well, t talk to me about that. What's going on? And, and I expected David to, to kind of talk through uh, how hard it's been and how hard it is on the kids and his wife and and maybe ask what, what resources the church, has had to, the church has to maybe help him. But that's really not the way the conversation went at all. In fact, David said, you know, I'm, uh, it's, it's been a challenging season, and, but, but it's really opened my eyes that maybe the Lord would wanna use me to serve other people who are going through something similar. Does Seacoast have something that exists right now that maybe I could get involved with to help other people who are going through something similar? It's like, oh my gosh. I don't know, well, let's just find out. So come to find out we don't right now, we don't have anything. And so David said, hey, I'd be willing to help start something if you want. And so, I mean, talk about jaw dropping. I mean, I'm like, are you kidding me? I fully expected him to say, hey, can you come alongside and help me walk through this? But, so I said, well, you're probably talking about when you get through chemo and all that, right? And he was like, no, I think it'd be better to do it right now. You know, as I go into these treatments and I'm in the same room and have these conversations, I think there's a real opportunity to, encourage people and serve people and help people in this season. And so, I mean, talk about turning an obstacle into an opportunity. It, it's not all that uncommon for people to be afflicted with cancer, and some of you are going through that right now. Terrible, terrible disease. You know what really stands out, though, is when people go, hey, I'd love to use this as an opportunity to help other people, too. Maybe you wanna be involved in something like that. You got that same Connect card. Maybe you just wanna write 
you know, the word cancer on it. I'd like to serve in this area because we're gonna meet David and some other people in the church are gonna pull together a meeting and we're gonna come up with some ideas for how we can better serve people who are walking through it because one person's willing to go, hey, I'd love to use this as an opportunity. What obstacle are you facing today that with a little perspective shift could be an opportunity for you to share your faith? It doesn't have to be the big things. It could be something as simple as things not going your way at work. Maybe you got overlooked for a promotion. You know, that's not all, all that uncommon for people to get overlooked for a promotion, but you know what is uncommon? Is when people use that as an opportunity to share their faith in Christ. Maybe you work in the food and bev industry. I worked in the food and bev industry for a long time and maybe you got stiffed by a table. Like that means they didn't leave you a tip. By the way, don't do that as Christians. We need to tip really, really well, reflect the gospel well. But I remember when I worked in food and bev, every now and then I would get, I would get stiffed. It was funny, last night my old manager was watching online and he texted me and said, Josh, you got stiffed, really? And I said, it was just bad management. It wasn't my fault. Um, <clears throat> so we had fun with that. But it's not all that uncommon to, to have a table leave you a bad tip or no tip at all. But what's really uncommon is to use that as an opportunity to show people what, what, what you're really about what your values really stand for. Could be a health diagnosis. Maybe you have been through some tough stuff or you're facing a difficult season right now. And I in no way wanna make light of that at all. I know there's some people who are fighting for their lives right now. But what if you just said, God, okay, I didn't choose this. I certainly don't want this. But Lord, I'm willing to, to give it to you. I'm willing to, to put it into your hands. And if you wanna use this as an opportunity to help other people, Lord, I'm, I'm willing to be a part of that. Maybe you've lost somebody that you love. So many people walk through that. We all do at some point. It's not all that uncommon to lose somebody that you love, but what's really uncommon is when somebody says, hey, I wanna use this circumstance, like my friend Diane Robinson, to go through grief share for herself, but then to go, hey, I wanna help other people who are walking through the sudden loss of somebody that they love. That really makes an impact. You know, the, the bigger the obstacle, the louder the megaphone that you have. The more interested people are gonna be to hear your story. Anybody can talk about how great their, their God is and how much they love Jesus when things are going really, really well. But, but man, when you talk about Christ and share your faith in the midst of major opportunities or obstacles, it really, really makes a difference. So if I'm gonna go from a spectator to a standout, I gotta be willing to, to do whatever. Have the heart of a servant. Gonna learn to turn my obstacles into opportunities. Say, God, I want you to use this. Last thought as we look at, look at Philip's life. Act quickly on spiritual nudges. Act quickly on spiritual nudges. So last time we saw Philip, he was in Samaria and there was great joy, there was ministry happening, fruitful, all that. Well, God shows up to Philip and he says, hey, I want you to leave here where things are going really well and I want you to go south of Jerusalem to the desert. Well, why? No explanation, just go. And so Philip listens to the Lord, he, he goes south, and now he's south of Jerusalem, he's in the desert. I've been there, not a lot of people down there, even to, to, to this day. There's, it's not real fertile ground for cities to flourish, and so he's down in this desert, and he's sitting around going, okay, I, I'm here, what, what now? And here's what happens. It says, the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Now, wouldn't it be nice if this had a little more explanation? The Spirit told Philip, what did that look like? Was it a text message? Was it Facebook Messenger? Like, hey, hey, I want you to go to the chariot. Here's the deal with spiritual nudges. A lot of times, it's just an impression. 
maybe a, just an, an impression that, that the Lord speaks to you and sometimes it's in the sound of your own voice. It says, maybe you should send that text. Hey, I want you to deliver an encouraging word here. Why, why, don't, you, why don't you write a letter? Handwrite something. Stop by their house on the way home. These, these impressions, spiritual impressions. And I say act quickly on those. Why do I say that? Look at this. It says, then Philip ran up to the chariot. So he gets this impression, and he's like, I'm, I'm gone. And he just, he takes off running. It's like, that's awkward, isn't it? To, to see a grown man running, especially in that culture, strange. But he didn't wait around. He didn't pray about it. He didn't check in with his accountability partners. He just had an impression and he ran. Why, why is that such a big deal? Because a lot of times, these opportunities are windows of time that if we don't jump at them, they're gone. And in this case, there was a chariot that was going by and so he ran up to the chariot. Can you imagine he's running alongside the chariot and this, he hears a man reading Isaiah the prophet and he's, hey, do you understand what you're reading in there? Like just such an odd moment. But he's running alongside this chariot and he says, hey, do you know what you're reading? He says, how can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. And so then he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture that the eunuch was reading. So this guy who's in this chariot is an Ethiopian eunuch. Now I had a eunuch joke, but I cut it. <laughs> Some of y'all, it's gonna take a couple minutes and it's gonna set in. If somebody sitting next to you up at the Somerville campus didn't laugh and you did, just wait till the ride home to explain it. Don't do it right now. Um, okay, so, so he's reading this passage of scripture and this is the passage that he's reading. It says, he was led like a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shear is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. So that's the, the passage out of the book of Isaiah that this eunuch was reading right as Philip runs up next to him. Says the eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture. Why do we act quickly on these nudges? Because it was that moment. It just so happened that he was reading a passage of scripture that Philip was able to take him right from there and tell him about the good news about Jesus. That window would have been gone if he waited. What happens next? As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? I love that. They're, they're, they're on this chariot now. They're traveling. He leads him to Christ and then up pops some water in the middle of the desert. And, and this eunuch says, hey, what, what? He, now he has a spiritual nudge. And he says, hey, what could stand in the way of me getting baptized? You know, we're doing baptisms today at all of our campuses. I hope some of you will ask that same question. What stands in the way of me getting baptized? You know, many people have signed up for the baptisms, but you know, the eunuch, he hadn't signed up. His name wasn't on the sign-up sheet. He just did it because the Lord led him to do it. Some of you at your campus, your pastor will tell you how you can do that, but I encourage you, that may be a spiritual nudge that you need to act on, that you need to follow through with, to say, I wanna be identified as a part of the family of God by being baptized. What if Philip had waited? What if he had taken some time to think through that that window of opportunity 
would have been gone. You know, God's gift to you is the opportunity and your gift to him is what you do with it. And I wonder in my own life, I think back and wonder how many times have I missed an opportunity just because I didn't follow through with that impression, that spiritual nudge. Philip had an incredible opportunity to lead this man to Christ and you know, I don't know if Philip ever put, put the whole picture together. You know, this man was from Ethiopia, it's modern day Sudan, but the way that the people in Israel would have referred to Ethiopia at the time was the end of the earth. Literally, it was, it was the end of the earth, far, as far south as they knew to, to get to, Ethiopia, the end of the earth. I wonder if Philip ever put it together that by just being willing to do whatever, signing up for the food team that, that one day back in Jerusalem, they'd be able to minister to people in Jerusalem. That when the hard times came and, and he was forced to leave, that he would bring the gospel, preach the good news to Samaria and Judea. Then literally, through one man, you can trace the African Christian church to the Ethiopian eunuch. He, he went back to Ethiopia and he began to share the gospel and the church began to grow in Africa. I wonder if Philip ever connected his life to these words of Jesus in Acts chapter one, verse eight. One of the last things that he told the disciples was, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. It's where he put the apron on. And in all Judea and Samaria, it's where he preached the word under, under intense pressure and then to the ends of the earth where he shared the gospel, this one person who would end up taking the gospel to Africa. Friends, following Christ is not a spectator sport. I don't know where Philip was that day in the crowd, but he was willing to take some simple steps that led him into some more steps that ultimately caused him to be one of the people that we look at in the New Testament as a standout, somebody who made a difference in the kingdom of heaven. He went from an anonymous face in the crowd to literally fulfilling Jesus' purpose for his life. I wanna invite you to do that. I'm gonna do it, invite all of us to do it. What do you think would happen in our church, in our city, at our campuses, if a whole group of people, some of us maybe haven't really gotten involved yet, some of us have been involved, some of us were involved in the past, but we really haven't been lately. We said, you know what, I'm willing to do whatever. I'm here to serve. What's the need? Lord, I, I'm, I'm going, maybe I'm going through an obstacle right now major challenge in front of me. And I don't know how it's all gonna work out, but God, if you would use it for your glory to encourage some people, I'm willing to turn my pain into a platform for you. And became the kinds of people that just when the spirit said go, we ran. God, I'm, I'm all in. That's what I invite you to this weekend. Would you pray with me as we close? God, we thank you so much. Lord, I thank you for this, this great passage, group of passages in Acts. Lord, that just give us a picture of the kind of people that you use. We don't know of anything significant or substantial about Philip's background, except that he was in love with you, he was full of your spirit, and he was willing to go where you let him to go. Lord, let us be people like that. Lord, I pray for the people that are here today that maybe are sensing an impression, Lord, of you to get involved maybe in service. Maybe it's to speak a word of encouragement. Could be to get baptized this weekend. Lord, that we would have the courage to be obedient. 
that we would take the next step that you've called us to take, and that in that, you would lead us, in some cases, to our destiny, to our purpose, and to significant impact in your kingdom. Thank you for letting us be a part of it. In Jesus' name, amen.